Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 80. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, DragonCon was fun. Congrats to listener Adam for winning the DragonCon scavenger hunt. His photos of giving a stormtrooper a lollipop, arm wrestling a goth chick, and throwing up a gang symbol with the editors of Drabblecast are up in the con pandemonium section of our forum, along with some other shots that we took while there. Adam gets two free tickets to DragonCon next year, so congrats to him for that. It was a lot of fun meeting up with him and other listeners and authors from the Drabblecast, and from other podcasts. I hope more folks will consider going next Labor Day weekend. You can check out our video podcast of the weekend on the Super Animal Deathmatch feed at megabeasts.com if you'd like to see us asking celebrities or random people who'd win in a fight between a cyborg raptor, a two-ton armadillo with a battle axe, a disease-spewing panda, and a 13-foot land shark. The, uh, cyborg raptor won. In other news, we finally launched our new podcast, Drabblecast B-Sides. This will be a podcast with semi-frequent updates that will contain content even farther off the beaten path than the normal Drabblecast. It won't be quite as audience-friendly, so that's why we gave it its own space. The first episode is a video podcast of a concert I did in Thomasville, Georgia a few weeks ago, so if that sounds interesting to you, go to Drabblecast B-Sides from our main page and subscribe to that mess. Okay, so Drabble time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called The End by Christian Corner. Christian's a computer animator living in Tampa, Florida with OCD habits and a cat named Puppy. The summer sky was blood red. Rachel sat with her roommate on the roof of their apartment building, sipping wine. A smoldering scent in the air, the sky adorned with swaths of color and light, only slightly obstructed by a skyscraper leaning steeply askew. Down in the streets below, they could hear the seething throngs of humanity that had taken to the streets. All those fears and passions below them, as twilight descended on the heaving city. An occasional scream, or laugh, wafts up from below. Who would have known that the end of the world would be so beautiful? Our feature story this week is called Standing in Line by Michael Simon. Mike is a hockey and rugby player who resides in eastern Canada and manages to practice medicine in his spare time. He prefers writing science fiction, but can often be found writing comedy and nonfiction as well, to the embarrassment of his family. His ultimate goal is to retire to a desert island and live off the royalties from his short stories, all the while munching on his endless supply of peppermint patties. Hey, it's okay to dream. So without further ado, Standing in Line by Michael Simon. I sense a difference the instant I step out of the water. In the unnatural stillness, there's an acrid taste in the air that assaults the back of my throat. It takes a moment for my vision to clear from the intensity of a sun too bright. 
A wave surges up the beach and wraps around my legs before receding in a trail of froth and rippling sand. The pull of the water ignites a shooting pain in my leg, and I vaguely remember falling, but the details seem surreal and distant. The water was calm when I went for a swim. Now it churns like a roiling cauldron. I scan the horizon to get my bearings. The beach is packed. Vacationers from all over the state have come to soak up the sun on this holiday weekend, and the families stretch up and down the coast, creating a literal carpet of people. I limp along the waterline until I spy my family, huddled together on our large floral beach blanket. It was the first thing Rachel purchased when we planned this trip. Jamie is sobbing quietly in her mother's arms, while Jason stares into the pale blue sky, an expression of utter amazement etched on his young face. Rachel, I... Bright light, Daddy, Jason squeals. Bright light! I pat him patiently on the head and try to ignore the uneasiness in my gut. Okay, son. Silent tears are falling down my wife's face as she rocks Jamie back and forth. I start to say something, but a cold shiver races up my spine as I finally notice the unnatural calm. Spinning slowly around, I focus on the people around me, and my heart skips a beat. Everyone, every man, woman, and child, is motionless. Some are standing, others sitting, but no one is moving. Most look confused, their eyes flickering from the turbulent waters to the cloudless horizon. Others, like the old couple seated behind us, seem calm, even composed. Frisbees and footballs lay abandoned in the sand, and even the radios have lapsed into static. Except for the crying of several infants, a cone of silence has descended. Mark, what's happening? My wife asks. Unconsciously, I take her hand. My sense of uneasiness is maturing into a strange thought pattern. The sand is wrong, she continues quietly. What's wrong with the sand? Between the rows of towels, there are dark silhouettes staining the normally pristine beach. Dark shadows that weren't there when I went for a swim. What the hell are those? I wonder. It's a hell of a thing, isn't it? I glance over at the old man behind me. How's that? He smiles, revealing a set of yellow teeth. I notice he's also holding his wife's hand. Never figured for this. Must have been terrorists. Still not fully comprehending, I find myself nodding. In the back of my mind, those strange thoughts are clamoring for attention. What exactly... I stop short as my eyes come to rest on the ruins of our hotel. Twenty stories tall when I last looked, it's now a crater of brick and dirt, bleeding plumes of black smoke. Only the foundation is visible through the haze and flame. But it isn't just my hotel. I realize as my gaze takes in the entire scene that every building along the strand has been reduced to rubble and thousands of fires are spewing ash skyward. Already I recognize the formation of charcoal-colored clouds. My God. It's a hell of a thing. The old guy repeats, following my gaze into the hellish furnace. I stand there, transfixed, until a small hand pulls on my bathing suit. Daddy, I'm scared. I take Jamie's hand in mine. Don't worry, sweet pea. Mommy and Daddy are right here. Jason silently slips into Rachel's lap. 
Another huge wave crashes on the shore and rolls right up to our feet. I could have sworn the ocean was calm a few minutes ago. Now the water thrashes and heaves like an enraged tiger. Our hotel! Rachel seems to be searching for the right words. Our things! I look back. My project had been in that room, the culmination of a year's work. Why wasn't I more upset? The strange thoughts are fighting to be recognized. I impatiently thrust them back into my subconscious. The city had been leveled in the space of a single heartbeat. Somewhere in the distance, a siren begins to wail. It's a lonely cry within a sea of destruction. Had to be a terrorist, the old man said. There was no warning. I glance over irritably. You're scaring the kids. His eyes lock on mine. Relax, son. It'll be over soon. What are you talking about? His eyes twinkle, but it's with compassion, not humor. I know it's hard with a young family and all. At least Gladys and I had our time. I can't hold the thoughts back any longer. They surge into my consciousness like a cold winter storm, and I cringe under the sudden realization. No. My knees start to give way. I stagger and feel the little hand tighten on mine. I squeeze my eyes shut as reality and logic abandon me. Please, God, no! My world spins as the memory of the great explosion in the sky shreds my defenses. I open my eyes and find myself staring into the soft brown eyes of my daughter. She smiles through the tears. It's okay, Daddy. She squeezes my hand. We'll get to play lots of games soon. Somehow... My eight-year-old understands. I look up at my wife. She smiles weakly and mouths, I love you. I mentally brace myself. If they can do it, so can I. Taking a deep breath, I turn and face the old man. It just happened? He nodded. About two minutes ago, right above the city center. I shiver but still force a smile. So, we were in the blast radius? He snorts. Son, we couldn't be any closer without being inside the bloody nose cone. This time we both laugh. So, the stains on the sand. The sounds of mirth evaporate, and only his smile remains as he shrugs. Let's just say there won't be much left for the caskets. A moment of silence passes, and yet neither of us let go of our loved ones. The vacationers on the beach remain rooted in place. Do they know? I ask. Oh, some of them probably do. The old man rubs some gray whiskers with his free hand. The rest are in a state of denial. The smile returns. <laughs> they do say ignorance is bliss. So what happens now? I whisper. Now we wait. Wait for what? He gives me a quizzical look. There were a lot of people killed, son. Sure, some probably left town for the holiday, but that still leaves something over two million in the blast radius. It'll take time. My mind remains blank. How does one comprehend the significance of two million dead? I don't understand. What will take time? He sees I'm having trouble accepting the situation, so he takes pains to explain. Look, I've worked for the banks for most of my 75 years, and during that time I served the public as a teller and as an agent. 
And if there's one thing I learned, it's <laughs> no matter how long the line gets, you can only go so fast. There's always one step in the process that slows everything up. All the T's have to be crossed and the I's dotted before you can move on. That sort of thing. My brain was spinning. And that has what exactly to do with our predicament? A lot of people have been killed today, son, he repeats. It's gonna take time. He nods to me before turning back to his Gladys. I, in turn, slump down beside Rachel and shake my head. Are you all right, honey? She asks. Ah, I think so. In truth, I hadn't a clue. Did that man tell you what was happening? Kind of, I confess. He says, we're standing in line. Oh, she seems surprised. I, I hope we're not waiting long. I wrap my arms around my young family. A mile down the beach, I see a whole group of people suddenly disappear. I blink to clear the illusion, but no, they remain gone, like a mirage. They were there, and then they were not. Don't worry, guys, I say in my best fatherly voice. Our turn is coming soon, and then we'll have lots of time to play those games. I close my eyes to the sound of Jamie's playful clapping. That was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. See, Apocalypse might not have to be a terrifying, horrific experience, and neither does Standing in Line. Whether you're sitting on a rooftop with a friend having a good glass of Merlot, or you're with your family... It's all just a matter of perspective. Now, granted, if we're talking about a zombie apocalypse, there's not much room for touchy-feeliness, but still, you get my point. Let's do feedback for episode 76, The Apologizing Robot Story, Apologies All Around, by Jeff Sosby. Andy D273 said, I really like this one, a lot. The story was really good, and I like the idea of these robots being created by people that have more to apologize for. I envision there being small armies of robots carrying apologies all over the place. The production was good, as always, but the laugh track was a little off. But then again, I don't normally like sitcoms that have laugh tracks. Adam said, I was kind of curious what would happen if you didn't accept an apology, or refused to give one back of equal effectiveness. I was half expecting the robot to get rough, like if the guy couldn't come up with anything with sufficient value, he would get taken down in a hail of gunfire. That would have been a fun twist. Like, the robot goes to apologize to the girl whose heart he broke, and she's a perfect saint who doesn't have anything of sufficient value that she hasn't already apologized for. So the robot carves her up with lasers. I wonder who would have to apologize for that. Jake, from Flash Fiction Online, where Apologies All Around was originally published, had some super nice things to say. He said we blew him away with our rendition of the story. He responded to Adam saying, Part of the point, I think, is that if we're persistent, we can always find things to apologize for. Look at how Winston tries to get away easily with things that are a lot less profound than the broken heart, but when he actually pays attention, he knows what he has to apologize for. I love that. Some people thought that using a robot to apologize was a cop-out, to which IG Wiz said, I guess my take on the story was a bit different. The character change that I saw during the piece was a recognition of the cathartic value of an apology. To me, it seemed that using a robot was perfect, because if the apology was delivered in person, there wouldn't be enough distance from the person apologizing to allow the apology to process. All in all, a great story, and we hope to get more from Jeff in the future. So that's all for this week. 
Join our discussion forums and let us know what you think about these stories, or just share weird stuff you find on the internet, like bow-legged gnomes, tapeworms, and whale farts. We also have a place where writers can post stories and drabbles on an informal basis for people to read and give feedback. If you like what we do here at the Drabblecast each week, consider checking us a donation, either one time or subscribe for $5 a month. Both options you can find on our main page at drabblecast.org. We pay our authors, and we would like to pay them more, and we also pay for production costs. Every little bit helps, and we greatly appreciate anything you can give. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it all you like. Tune in next week for more good times. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, the end is near. Tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round. An hour ago, this place was loaded. A noise filled the room like the smoke. And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when spoke. <laughs>